This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello everyone, it's your favorite podcast host here, Joe Redman, just letting you know that the Talksport Fan Network is now proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards, registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. Don't like your odds? Enjoy daily bet boosts on your favourite sports and make your best bet now at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. We're going to build a train so big, it can't be stopped. From the executive producers of Power. We got enemies eyeing us, cops clocking us. Comes the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Tommy Egan is the linchpin to bringing down all of these gangs. Egan's too dangerous to be left alive. Power Book 4, Force. Game over. Premieres Friday, September 1st, only on Stars and the Stars app. Hello everyone, welcome along to the latest episode of the Turfcast podcast pre-game show where we get the lowdown on the opposition by talking to a fan of the opposition. Normally a YouTuber, sometimes someone who owns a podcast, sometimes both. Like this week, we are joined by Rich from the Over and Over and Over Again Arsenal podcast and YouTube channel. Um, but we'll get into that into a little bit. Um, poor start to the season from Burnley. Can we turn it around against Arsenal? Uh, I do want to quickly, before we get into the uh, into the show, talk about all this stuff that's been out there this week on social media and in, in the media, really, um, about Burnley's style of play and their tackling. I mean, let's get one thing straight. Burnley are the record breakers for consecutive games without a red card. That, that's not an opinion. That is a fact. You can have a, an opinion about how Burnley play. That is your opinion. But it is a fact that we are 
the, the record holders without a red card. 97 games without a red card. Consecutive. 97 consecutive games without a record. That Nobody has achieved that before in Premier League history. And every single game, it is a new record. And what annoys me at the minute is this week, we have seen a Liverpool player break his ankle thanks to um, what I... That challenge from Strike, is that how you pronounce it, Strook? Um I, th- I thought it was a good challenge. Honestly, I, I thought it was a good challenge. That just might, might, be, might, be, might be my Burnley gra- background and, and, and enjoying seeing Burnley play uh, in a certain way um, that makes me think that. I, I can understand why it's kind of been given as a red at the same time, though, because he does leave the ground. I wouldn't say he comes from behind either, which at first I thought he did. He doesn't come, he kind of sort of like comes from round him. He is behind him, but he comes from round Harvey Elliott and wins the ball. That is for me the important factor. He doesn't get the man first. He obviously catches the man with, I think, his trailing leg. And that is, is I suppose, why it's deemed dangerous. That one's an iffy one. I can see, I personally think it's a good challenge and I don't think he should have been sent off, but I can see the debate for him getting sent off. This week, we have played Everton. The worst challenge of the game was by Josh Brownhill for me in the first couple of minutes. Nothing said about that one. Um, then Rich Arlison clattered Ben Mee as well. Nothing said about that one. And yet Tarky does a good challenge. Tarky does a good challenge on Rich Arlison. He wins the ball. It is a good challenge. It was like, oh, but he gets the man. He gets the man afterwards. And it was like, oh, is it all these. This is another thing that annoys me. Is this. This new craze of putting screenshots up. Any screenshot can paint any picture that you want it to do. I was having screenshots sent to me by Everton fans where the ball had long gone and then Tarky is kind of touching Richarlison a little bit with his follow-through. And then I was like, he's nowhere near the ball. So like, yeah, because Tarky's already won it, mate. It's gone. It's in the stand behind the goal. Uh, well, behind, behind Richarlison. It's gone. It's gone. So I do not understand this obsession with um, criticising Burnley and criticising Burnley's tackling because we are, ultimately, the facts say, one of the cleanest teams in the division. I think we are currently sixth in the Fair Play League. I think somebody said we finished second in the Fair Play Fair Play League last season. Now, feel free to prove me wrong if you want because I haven't actually researched that. It's just something that I saw on Twitter, to be honest, and I know I shouldn't really do that, but I have done. Um, but I've kind of made it my mission in recent weeks to sort of like constantly try and shut these negative narratives about Burnley down, but it's becoming tight. It's becoming so loud now, these narratives. Everybody's doing it. You're having people writing articles about Burnley need to be, uh, what was the word he said? Regulated. A team with no no red cards for 97 games need to be regulated. This guy was an Arsenal fan. In that time, Arsenal have had five red cards. Granite Xhaka grabbed Westwood by the throat last season, but yet it's us that needs to be regulated. What a load of rubbish. It really is a load of rubbish, but it's becoming tiresome now. And all we can do is just keep doing what we do, keep doing it right, making sure you don't give the refs an excuse to send you off because uh, if they get an excuse to send you off now, I've got a sneaky feeling after this little rant as well, I might look a bit stupid, but I've got a sneaky feeling we might get a red card this weekend simply because of the noise that's been on social media, in the media, these terms like Burnley need to be regulated. Gary Neville saying, you know, it has no play. These kind of tackles have no place in today's game. What kind of tackle is that, Gary? A tackle where you win the ball? Like people keep people keep clipping clips up of Gary doing a tackle against Barnsley. I'm not really into that because I do agree that football has changed a lot since then. But it, we need to be careful. Football is going to become a non-contact sport, and people have been saying it for so long. And I'm sitting here sounding like an old man. Um, but uh, yeah, 
I, I, I just wanted to have a little rant, to be honest, at the start of this video, because the noise on social media this week has been an absolute disgrace. And you know what? I don't necessarily mind when it's on social media, because football fans on Twitter especially um, are quite toxic. They'll say anything for likes and things like that and retweets. So a lot of the stuff they say, they don't even believe themselves. But it's the fact that it's been in the actual media this week. We've had, you know, Sky Sports articles basically criticising us. You've had Gary Neville criticising us. You've had a random Arsenal fan who works for Football London who I've never heard of. He's probably just trying to make a name and, and get a few people following him. Yeah, just saying some ridiculous things. The facts are, and I'll end it on this bit before we get in to the pre-game show, the facts are we are not a dirty side. We are physical, but we are not dirty. That is not your opinion. That is not my opinion. That is a fact. It may be your opinion that we are dirty, but I can give you a fact that proves you wrong. Anyway, enough of me ranting. Let's get into the pregame show. Right, and just like that, we are joined uh, by Rich Gooner, which uh, I'm sure is not his real name, or I'm sure he'd like it to be, uh, from over and over and over again at the Arsenal podcast. How are you doing, Rich? Yeah, very well, yeah. I mean, I might change my name by Depot, actually, just so that it will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah you like change it to Rich Gooner. I'll, I'll change mine to, to Joel Claret. In fact, when I was growing up, I remember when I was at uni, so not really growing up, but when Facebook were quite new, people used to always have, like, random middle names on Facebook. They'd have, yeah. like... Uh, Jeff something Brown. Mine was always Joe Dingle Redmond. And I, I think like a, f a few people at uni used to start calling me Dingle because, of course, that's what we get called and criticised um, by like local rivals. But uh, anyway, let's get into it. Um, Arsenal burner this weekend. Let's have a talk about your start at season so far there, first of all. We obviously get into the actual match. Um, obviously, one win now, which is one win more than us. Um, three points, is it, you've got? Or is it four points from the opening um, four games? Uh, I think it's three, isn't it? Yeah, three. Um, yeah, three. Tough tough start in terms of fixtures, though, um, to be fair. So how do you assess your start to the season? Yes, I mean, you could say it's been a tough start. Obviously, we played Brentford in the first game away, which was on the Friday night in front of the TV, their first game in the Premier League in front of fans and stuff. It was always going to be a tough game, that. And then... Chelsea and Man City, two of the teams that's probably going to be challenging for the title. So the fixtures didn't help us out. But um, I was disappointed in the way that we played in all three of those games. You know, you can understand losing, certainly to Chelsea and Man City, brilliant team that they are. But it was a manner in which we played. We didn't, um, we kind of almost accepted that we were going to lose to them two teams in particular before we'd even started. And for an Arsenal team, I don't believe that's acceptable. You know, I don't mind losing games so much if... We've competed and we've done all we could have done. I mean, the, the Chelsea game, it was far too easy for Chelsea. They could have won that 4-5-0 or five nil if they really put the effort in in the second half. They just kept the ball, did the job, got got the win. Man City, obviously, we did lose 5 nil, and it could have been a lot worse. Their goalkeeper that day played well. So, yes, points tell is disappointing. I would have, looking at the fixtures from those first four games, I would have expected something from Brentford, possibly a draw. Obviously, would have expected to have beaten Norwich at home, which we ended up doing, and would have maybe hoped for perhaps a draw from Chelsea at home, maybe, if we turned out and played well. So, a little bit disappointed with with the points tally, but more disappointed with how we've been playing. Norwich was slightly better. We had a few players back from injury, and it was a slightly better performance. But again, we kind of struggled for a 1-0 win. We're not scoring many goals. One goal in four games. Even you guys who haven't got a win yet have scored more goals than us. And, you know, that's unusual, isn't it, for an Arsenal team not to be scoring. And that, that's yeah. a worry as well. We're not even... I know against Norwich, apparently, we had 30 shots at goal. Not that I remember most of them. And we scored one goal, which isn't great if that's true. Whereas in the previous game, we struggled to create anything. Man City, I think we had one shot in the whole game. So 
there's issues there in terms of creating chances and taking chances, and, and it's a worry. But hopefully now we've got some players back, things can start to improve. But it's been a poor start. There's no getting away from it. We were bottom of the league before last week. So that's it shows how bad a start it was. You know, Regardless of the fixtures, you've got to play everybody through the season, haven't you? And when you yeah. play them, the top teams, the good teams, you've got to be ready and you've got to be able to at least give them a game, make it hard for them. And we didn't do that. How do you feel Arsenal are in comparison to these um, I was going to say bigger clubs then, but in terms of City and probably Chelsea as well, maybe it's probably a little bit harsh. But in, to, in, in, to, in these clubs that are there, thereabouts at the top of the table is what I'm trying to say. You, you do seem a bit of a distance away from them. I mean, you have done for quite a while, but obviously this time 15 years ago, you were battling Chelsea out for the Premier League title. City were nowhere to be seen. You were battling United out. Liverpool again were nowhere to be seen. But now you're the team that's fallen away. And I know football goes in peaks and troughs and things like that and, yeah. and Arsenal probably will eventually come back. But it does seem like to me from the outside looking in that you are a very, very long distance away from these, from these, you know, your Chelsea's, Liverpool's, United's, not United, sorry, City. Um, and if if you are going to be challenging for a title again, it probably won't be within, within the next five years. It must, be, must have been difficult to watch the club sort of like fall. I'm trying to not be as harsh as it sounds, but sort of like fall from grace as much because you've gone from winning the Premier League and, and breaking records to now not even being in Europe. So it must have been difficult to, to watch the fall. It has been, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like um, it's like anything really, you know, if, if you're used to or when you've been used to seeing your team be successful, play good football, win a lot of trophies, then when that, as you said, football goes in cycles. Nobody's successful forever. It, it, it always finishes at some point. And it's, it, you know, we've found it a lot more difficult in recent years. And the, the, the fall away has actually been, I suppose it was it was more gradual in the, in the final years of Arsene Wenger. We were gradually moving away from challenging for titles to just getting into the top four and eventually not even getting in the top four. And now we're not even in Europe, as you said. So it's been, it was quite steady for a while. And now since Arsene Wenger was gone, it's dropped away even more dramatically. And now we're almost a mid-table team at the moment, two eighth-place finishes. And it has been difficult to, to see that happening, but it hasn't been surprising. The way the clubs run, the owners don't seem to care about success on the pitch. Um, and I believe that we've appointed, we've made poor choices in the managers that have replaced Wenger, unfortunately, which has led us to the situation that we're in. And in terms of looking at the other clubs, yeah, I mean, we're miles away from where Man City are. We're miles away from where Chelsea are. Um, and we're miles away from most of the teams that are challenging for the top four places now, unfortunately. And it's happened quite quickly. And I know last season you could look at it and say, I think we ended up, was it three or four points away from finishing in the top four, actually, in the end, although we finished eighth. It was it was quite tight ahead of us. That was on the back of a run at the end of the season of winning five games in a row, five games with no pressure against teams with very little to play for. And they were simple games for us to win, really. And unfortunately, in the end, that's maybe put us in a better position at the end than we maybe deserved over the previous 33 games that we played when we were really poor for most of them. So, you know, we are a long way away from where we should be as a club. And unfortunately, with the transfer window that we've had, we spent a lot of money on a lot of young players for the future. It isn't going to help us close that gap immediately now, this season or possibly next season either. And it's quite a frustrating time because, you know, Arsenal came out recently, uh, the... Uh, sort of Ed, who, who deals with the transfer side of it, came out and said, you know, our, our, you know, what we've done is we're building for the future, basically saying, well, we're going to write off this season, we're going to possibly write off next season, and we're going to hopefully have a half-decent team in two or three years. But in two or three years' time, some of these players would have left, probably. The manager may well be different. And the whole process starts again, doesn't it? Because managers don't get time, you know, regardless. And players don't stay around, do they? You know, we've got some good young players 
Are they going to want to stay at Arsenal if we're staying out of Europe? We're in mid-table when clubs like Man City or, or Chelsea or Man United or Liverpool might come knocking and say, look, we're interested in buying you. Bukayo Saka is an example of that. Apparently, clubs are sniffing around already. And he's not going to want to stay at Arsenal, is he, if we're not challenging for anything? Because he's a great young player. He wants to build a great career in the game, doesn't he? And it is, we're in a, we're in a difficult situation at the moment. And I don't really know how it's going to, how it's going to pan out. I, I agree with what you said. Arsenal will at some stage be back challenging again, I'm sure, because his, history shows that that's happened. But football's different now, isn't it? I don't think any of us really know what the future is going to be like in football. Who would have thought Man City and Chelsea would have got the investment that they've had in the last 20 years to become the, the success that they had? I mean, I'm hoping that it does come back round and we somehow manage to turn this around and become successful again. But at the moment, I can't see how, without a big, massive outside investment, I can't see how we can do it now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the next five, ten years... Um, like I said, I can't see Arsenal doing it within the next five, ten years. But as as football goes in cycles, I do think eventually you'll be back. Um, and I don't think City and, and and Chelsea will have this investment forever as well. So eventually they'll fall. But you mm. you touched on it briefly there, like the, the, this uh, this lad's comments. How Arsenal will be good in maybe three years again, or have an <laughs> half decent season in, in three years. That that just sums Arsenal up to me. It feels like from the owners or or whoever's representing the club, you're always being sold this dream. It was the same when the Emirates were built. It's like, oh, we'll build this and then we'll be successful. And that mm. after that, it's like, all right, we've built this now. Look at what you've got. We can't buy a few players for a few years, but just wait a bit, then we'll be successful. For the last two or three years, you've said, well, Arteta's coming in. He's not, you know, an experienced manager, but he will be soon. So just be patient, and then we'll yeah. be successful. And now it's the same again. Well, we've brought these young players. Just be patient. <laughs> You're always yeah. being told to trust the process and be patient. But surely there comes a time when you can't be patient anymore, and it's your patience is going to run thin. And it seems to me like, well, it seems to me like you're patient. Not you personally, but Arsenal fans' patience mm. has, has run thin quite a long time ago. Um, is that a fair assessment? I think it is, actually, and it's probably a good way of looking at it because since we moved to the Emirates, which was 2006, it's now 2021, so it's been a long time that we've been there, and I, I do feel as though maybe circumstances... When we when we originally set out the plans to move stadium, it was in uh, sort of two, the year 2000 when, you know, we, we were successful on the pitch, uh, and there was only really Arsenal, Man United and Liverpool that you could say were realistically big challenges regularly for the title. You know, Chelsea hadn't had their investment, Man City hadn't. And in, in the consequent kind of years, while we were building the stadium and getting it all sorted, things changed on, on the football landscape. Chelsea became a big club. Um, and since we moved, Man City got their investment two years later. And suddenly, uh, instead of just think probably the club probably thought at that time, you know, we can still compete um, with Man United and Liverpool will still be in the top three or four anyway, not anticipating what was going to happen. So I think maybe the timing was a bit unfortunate. Um, but yeah, since then, of course, we was in a, a, a bit of a tricky situation financially. We had to sell our best players every year or so because we had to do that just to keep the, the, the club basically in business, if you like. You know, we couldn't afford to keep buying and buying. We had to sell um, because of the stadium. So we, we had a difficult time and it became more difficult as more teams got more investment and overtook us. And suddenly we found ourselves, I say, instead of competing for titles, just about struggling to get in the top four. And yes, I think Arsenal fans were sold a dream at the beginning that hasn't quite worked out. And since then, the club have been promising us constantly that things are going to are going to get better and all they've done is got worse and I mean to be honest with you I'm not totally surprised with the owners that we've got they took over well they bought into the club I think it was 2008 and I think they took full control about 2018 and you can see 
the decline in that period. And it's not a coincidence that you get new people involved financially, you get new owners eventually who take control of the club and things get worse. And it's obvious that that's the problem. And this is the situation that we're in. And I think until we, we do look at that as a club, maybe get new owners in, sell the clubs to someone who really cares about making the club successful in the way that the Man City owners have done and the way the Chelsea owners have done, Arsenal aren't going to be able to to, to, feel for, to, feel, uh, to fulfil that kind of ambition and dream that the fans have got. Now, I think one of the problems has been because they the club have realised that they can't reach the, the heights that they promised, they keep trying to put it off and say, it will come, just stick with us. You know, mm. and, and this summer it's about, well, we bought these young players. Well, the problem for me is the owners and the second problem is the manager. And while those two things are still in place, I don't care who, who we buy, we could buy, we could get Ronaldo and we would still struggle because we've got the wrong manager and we haven't got the right infrastructure around. So the, the club are in a mess and it, you, you're right what you said and your assessment is spot on and I don't know how long this process is meant to go on for because it's gone on for 15 years already and we still haven't got anywhere other than backwards and who knows how we're going to turn that around and I don't think we can with the current people running the club and that's the biggest problem I think that we've got. But we'll have to see what happens. Hopefully things can change. And we're hearing rumours that maybe other owners are interested in buying a club. They may possibly want to sell. The Cronkies might want to sell. Uh, and maybe things will change. But at this moment in time, I can't see anything changing. Well, even if we change manager, that isn't going to solve all our problems. It will solve some of them on the pitch, maybe. But it's not going to really solve the ultimate issues at the club. And it's, all, it's not going to be able to suddenly transport us from mid-table to challenging for the top four or challenging for the title. It's more than that that's needed. Yeah, that was going to be my next question then. I was going to say, like, where does the book stop then for this decline? And obviously you mentioned the owners quite a lot there, so that would probably suggest to me that you do feel it is predominantly the owners. Mm. What is it that they're doing wrong? Is it lack of investment? Is it incorrect decisions? What What is it that they're doing wrong? I mean, I suppose it, previously it's sort of been a lack of investment, although maybe you can kind of look at the stadium situation. You know, they, they came into the club not long after we'd moved stadium and there was the financial implications of that. Um, and obviously this summer we've spent the most money, certainly in transfer fees. I know it's not just about that because you've got to look at wages. I mean, what Man United have spent out on wages have probably far eclipsed what we've paid out this summer in total. But in transfer fees, we've spent the most, haven't we, in the Premier League? So you can't really say it's a lack of investment necessarily. I mean, we spent £72 million on Nicolas Pepe two years ago. You know, we've been investing in the team. I think we've invested badly. I think we've we've had the wrong people doing jobs behind the scenes in terms of recruitment. And I think that we've had a lot of changes. There's been in the last two or three years, we've had, you know, a whole complete re, re, revamp of the scouting system at the club. We've had lots of different um, movements behind the scenes in terms of recruitment and all that kind of stuff. And it's like they don't, they're just getting people in for six months then they're getting somebody else to replace them in six months and they're not getting any stability behind the scenes. And what they need to do is they need to find a system that they want to go with. And yes, now we could have done this two or three, four or five years ago and be in a much better place now, but because we haven't, this is what's happening. And unfortunately now we're in a situation where regardless of what happens, I think that it's still going to take a long time because you've got to get the right things in place behind the scenes. And that's what they've done badly. I think the, re the recruitment side on the pitch has been poor, but the recruitment side off the pitch has been even worse in terms of the people that buy the players and negotiate the contracts. We've got a load of players we can't get rid of. We haven't been able to get rid of because they're on ridiculous contracts that uh, it's led to the point where they're not good enough to play for the team. We don't want them, but no one will buy them. We've had to, we've had to 
sell off the contract of Virgil. We had to basically um, rip his contract up to get rid of him. Um, there was Willian who apparently paid off his contract himself to get out of the club. You know, it's, it, th- these these are decisions that are holding us back because we've had to pay wages to players because of the contracts that they're on, which has meant that we can't invest more heavily in better players. So we've had to buy these young players because we haven't had any choice. You can buy a young player, you haven't got to pay them as much money. If we were to buy established players, they're gonna their contracts are going to be worth a lot more. And on a weekly, monthly basis, that's paying out more money than we can afford. And that's the problem. We can get these young players on a... We can pay, I don't know, 25 million, but we can do it in, in installments. So it's not a big outlay. But when you've got a contract, you've got to pay that every month. You've got no choice because yeah. that's the contract that they're on. And that, that's been a problem, the recruitment side. And, and the people that the owners have been employing to do those jobs have been the wrong choices. And they've even known it because they've got rid of them quite quickly. We'll make the right choices in the first place. Stick with stick with the right people. And we may eventually turn things around. And it's that's been the problem. That's what they've done badly. They've not necessarily not invested. I think they've invested money. We spent money in the transfer market. We spent it badly. And the people that they've employed to do those jobs, recruitment, scouting, all that kind of stuff has been dreadful. And that's the biggest issue, I think. Talk to me about Arteta then, because I think you've, you've already said you were, uh, you'd, you'd rather have somebody else at the helm. Um, than Arteta. Um, it tends to be. I think. I think more Arsenal fans these days do tend to be Arteta out uh, than Arteta in. Uh, having said that, I would say it's still probably a decent split down the middle. Um, I think Arsenal fans are always seem to be arguing amongst each other whether they're um, yeah. Arteta in or Arteta out. You can't be an Arsenal fan. You're either an Arsenal fan and you want Arteta, or you're an Arsenal fan and you don't want Arteta. Um, from the outside looking in, I, I just think I don't see why. It didn't work for Chelsea. Chelsea tried it with Lampard. It didn't work. Um, I don't mm. think it's working for you. You tried it with Arteta. It isn't working. And I don't necessarily think it's working for Man United and Ali as well. United fans mm. would argue and say, oh, well, we've started doing better this season. Look at look at how well we're doing. Look at this. Look at that. I think that's because of the investment and, uh, and the players that have been yeah. coming in rather than the manager. I think with a decent manager, United will be knocking on the door of the Premier League title. Um so I, I don't see this new fad of bringing in inexperienced club legends as managers. I think let them do their apprenticeship elsewhere. Like uh, the Lampard situation, it, it failed at Derby, then was rewarded by being brought into Chelsea. It just didn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense. Yeah. And it's a similar sort of thing with Arteta. All right, he did an apprenticeship as such under Pep, but I feel like he needed to go out there and he needed to to, to apply his trade. In a way, to, to what Gerard has done, I think Gerard will become a very good manager because of the way that he's done it. He's not been pushed in into the deep end and sank, like, in my opinion, Lampard did, and Arteta is doing, and, and Ole kind of is doing. So what do you think? I'm saying, I, know, I know you're Arteta out, but what, what do you think is the, is the best way forward then for yourselves and Arsenal and Arteta? Is it parting ways? Is it give him till the end of this season, then maybe part ways? And then and on top of that question, who would you want to come in if he, if he did leave? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm Arteta out or Arteta in. I don't think it's necessarily about that. For me, what I want is I want what's best for the for the club. I want us to be getting better results and play better football. And Arteta has had 18 months or so in the job. And the results, are, yes, we won the FA Cup and that was great. Um, but since then, he hasn't managed to build on that success. And it's becoming more and more obvious that um, he's not able to, he's not been able to um do the job that was necessary. It was a tough job when he came in. You know, Emery had a tough job before in replacing Wenger and it was always going to be difficult. And I think we did need, and we do need, someone with more experience. I mean, Arteta 
is probably a very, very good coach. He's probably a very good number two. In fact, he was a very good number two at Manchester City. That doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a good number one. And I agree. What he should have done was possibly he's gone and been a number one at a smaller club with less expectations, with maybe a slightly easier, uh, an easier job to come into, you know, maybe in a championship or lower. Learn about being a number one, learn about being a manager. And then if that went well and he was successful, then obviously he could then take that in to, you know, becoming a, at a bigger club, whether that's Arsenal or elsewhere. But he obviously wouldn't have left his cosy job at number two because he played for Arsenal, his most recent club he played for. And, you know, I just feel maybe he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have gone and been manager of, say, a Derby or a Nottingham Forest or whoever it might have been. Um, I think he would only have left Man City's number two to become manager of an Arsenal or, yeah. or a club like that, or possibly an Everton who he played for as well. So um, I can see why Arsenal did it. You know, because he was probably uh, he probably wasn't going to demand the sort of signings that other top managers would be demanding because he didn't have the experience to back it up. He couldn't say, "Well, give me all these players and I'll make us successful," because he couldn't back it up because he hadn't done it, done the job before. So he probably was quite happy to accept what he was given in terms of a, a budget. Some managers come in and they they expect a budget, like Mourinho, for example, would have expected a massive budget to come into Arsenal. And Arsenal wouldn't have been prepared to do that. And so I understood why they got him. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I just don't think it's working out. I like Arteta, but he's not the right man for what we need. <coughs> so I think what we need to do is try to, I mean, just getting rid of, <coughs> oh, excuse me, just getting rid of Arteta isn't going to suddenly solve all our problems. I do believe that a, a better a better man manager and, and a better coach would get more out of his team. You look at what Tuchel did at Chelsea, you're looking at Lampard, yeah. the same players, basically, he took over in, what, December, January time, they were eighth or ninth in the league, Chelsea. Mm. With those same players, he got them in the top four, won the Champions League, and now, just with the addition of mainly Lukaku, they're now going to be challenging for the title. With the same players that Lampard had. And I believe yeah. that if we was to get a manager of that quality coming into this Arsenal team with the players that we've got, I'm not saying we'd win the Champions League or win the league or anything like that, but what we would do is, I believe we would be better. We would get better results. We would maybe be able to get back into Europe, into the top six, which is where we need to be. Who that person would be is a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, there's a few managers knocking around in the Premier League I like. I do like what Graham Potter's doing at Brighton. I think they play good football, and I think with with better players, with with a better um, you know players that he can coach, I think he could do a really good job somewhere. And I wouldn't mind him being at Arsenal. He's a young coach. He's got experience of being a manager, and he's done well. He's done well in Europe as well. He was in Sweden before, wasn't it, or, or somewhere like that, where he had success. And then he's come to Brighton in the Premier League. And you, you know, people say, "Well, they, they fight relegation every year." They do, but they're Brighton with no money, and he's done a fantastic job. And how they play football is good. So, you know, he's a great manager. I think he could do a better job at Arsenal than we, we've got currently. Um, you know, I know Southampton are struggling with, with Hasselhoff, but he, again, he looks like he knows what he's doing. He seems to, he can organise a team. Again, they've lost a few key players and that's why they're struggling. Um, so there, there's a few options that you could look at. I mean, obviously, then you're looking at the top, you know, obviously Conte is probably the biggest one that everybody would love because you know he could come in and transform things, but he would probably demand the sort of budget for transfers and players that we wouldn't offer him. So would he come to Arsenal? Because he would probably look at that and say, well, actually, no, you haven't got the ambition that I have as a club. So as much as I would love someone like Antonio Conte to become manager, I can't see that being possible with the way the club is at the moment. So I think we'd have to look at 
probably elsewhere in the Premier League, maybe, and look at coaches that understand the Premier League. I think it is a bit of a risk getting someone in from outside. There's a few managers um, in Europe that you could look at and say, well, yeah, they, they could potentially do a job. But it's quite, I think it's a little bit more of a risk, a manager from abroad coming into the Premier League for the first time because the Premier League offers a different challenge. And I know Tuchel's come in and done really well. And other managers have before, of course, you know, Arsene Wenger, for example. But... I don't know, I would maybe rather see us looking at, you know, we've got a lot of homegrown players now in our squad. And I think maybe a manager who understands English football to come in. Uh, and I say, I would say Graham Potter would probably be, if we're not going to get someone like Conte or a real top, top draw manager, I think someone like Graham Potter would be, you know, if you're looking at a process, for example, I think Graham Potter would be perfect for a process because of what he's done so far in his managerial career. The sort of football he wants to play is an Arsenal kind of traditional style, isn't it? You know, getting the ball forward, playing, you know, not all this messing around, playing out from the back, getting the ball forward, playing football on the front foot, trying to attack teams and score goals. He just lacks the players to do it at Brighton. He's got the players at Arsenal to pull that off. And I think for me, if I had to make a choice now, say, for example, if, if we lose tomorrow to you guys, if we lose to Tottenham next week, you've got to say Arteta's job's going to be hanging by a thread. And if that was going to be the case and they were thinking of moving him on, I would definitely be going to Graham Potter first and saying, is this a job that you'd be interested in? Fair enough. Interesting. I'm, I, I'm always interested in like manager debates and, uh, and next managers because I always like try and envision... Arsenal under Potter and it, it kind of sounds like it might work. I understand your, your point of view. I think I think Brighton, they would be very good if they had a striker. I think that's that's yeah. the problem with Brighton. Like it's but Arsenal would be able to provide him with that. So that'd be mm. interesting. Um but looking at this weekend then, um, what sort of game are you expecting um at Turf Moor on well Saturday, tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, uh, most most uh, most seasons when we play you guys at Turf Moor, it's a very similar game. There's not a lot of goals generally. It's very, very tight. And, you know, historically, Arsenal have managed to just about shade it. You know, sometimes a few late controversial goals we've had over the years a couple of times. And there's been a couple of draws in the last two two seasons. It's both been draws, hasn't it? So they're generally tight games. You know, we know, we know what Burnley are like. They're quite physical, get the ball forward quickly, dangerous from set pieces. And they're things that we traditionally struggle against. You know, if you look at the Brentford game we mentioned before, that was quite a physical game. They bullied us all over the pitch and they won. And that's the kind of um, game that we tend to get against you guys. You know, you've got two physical strikers who put it about uh, and you get the ball into them as quickly as you can. And and if we can deal with that side of it, then we've got a chance of uh, hopefully uh, our quality players in the final third of the pitch. Although they've not been working so far this season with one goal, but we do have quality up that end of the pitch. And if we can get them into the game, I think we can cause your defence problems. But... It's going to be a tight game. I'm expecting it. I'm not expecting it to be a goal fest, a free all draw or anything like that. I think it's going to be very tight and it may well be one goal either way decides it. Or again, a draw as it's been in, in recent years. But it's it's not going to be a free-flowing game of football, is it? Let's be honest. It's going to be a, a battle. It's going to be yeah. quite physical. And I just, you know, I'm just hoping that we can get the ball down at some point and, um, and get our, our attacking talented players up in the attacking end of the pitch into the game and then maybe causing you some problems. But we're going to have to be focused for 90 minutes defensively um, because of the challenge that you guys are going to offer us. And we need to be ready for that. And my worry is with Arteta, he's not very flexible in tactics. He doesn't tend to change the way we play to suit the opposition. Same, same, same as Dash, at least, mate. <laughs> Dash is very similar with that. 
Yeah, but it possibly is. But I mean, you know, when you're the home team, um, you know, I suppose it's your responsibility to take your to enforce your game on us, and it's our job to counteract that and try to come up with a plan to to be able to win the game. And that's what you know when you're away from home. That's what you need to do. You need to adapt at home. You, you want to take, you know, you want to play your game when you're at home, don't you? You've got your crowd behind you and that kind of stuff. Whereas when you're away, you have to maybe adapt. And we don't do that particularly well. Um, although, having said that, last year we had quite a good away record because we we play teams on the counter attack. And if we do that tomorrow, then we've got a chance because we do have pace going forward. Um, but Burnley aren't a team to throw everything at us in that sense. You're going to be very structured in your 4-4-2 and it doesn't always leave a lot of space on the counter-attack. I know we did score on a counter-attack against you last season when we drew one all, but um, we're not going to be probably able to do that at will in the game. I think it's going to be a different sort of game and, and Arteta needs to be ready for that. He wasn't ready for it against Brentford. He needs to be... He's got a poor record against you guys. I think I don't think he's beaten you since he's been our manager, actually. So that's a problem because of the, the challenge that you, that you offer. He's not able, he hasn't been able to deal with that so far. And that's the key tomorrow is if he can set us up right, if he can get us ready for that challenge. I don't know what they've been doing in training, whether they've been working on playing against Burnley or have they just been working on the normal stuff that they work on um, without looking at this particular game. And that worries me. That's what we'll be doing. That's what we would have done. And we'll come in tomorrow not really prepared for what we're going to face. Some of the players will know because they've played against you guys before. But ultimately, it's yeah. about the, the way the team's set up, isn't it? and stuff like that and that's what concerns me but it's going to be a tight game there's not going to be a lot in it and it, I, I've got a feeling it's going to be one goal either way and just hope that from our sake it's it's the goal goes out in our favour but I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't just because of the way we're playing Yeah you've mentioned the Brentford game two or three times there um, and yeah. I do want to pick up on that is the way that you lost that game a worry going into the Burnley game because Brentford exposed your weaknesses in ways that we probably would expose those weaknesses with crosses, balls into the box, being nice and physical. And dare I say Burnley are definitely more experienced than Brentford at doing that and in my opinion probably better than Brentford at doing that. So surely that, mm. as an Arsenal fan point of view, that, that defeat against Brentford should worry you. That is, I, I'll give you a prediction obviously in a minute, but that is when I, when my when my head chooses a prediction, I think I've already given it to you on your podcast, check it out. Um, just head over to over and over and over again and check it out. There'll be a link in the description if you want to watch that. Um, but I think I said like, if, if we're going to win the game, we're going to turn it into a battle like Brentford did. And when yeah. I give my prediction, I normally give it with my head rather than my heart. But when I'm when my, when I let my heart take over, my heart starts thinking, well, Brentford did it to him, so maybe maybe we can do it to him. So from our perspective, it makes me wonder, or maybe we can beat you. So surely from your perspective, it might be a bit of a worry. It is a worry. I mean, it's it's always a worry when we play um, Burnley for that same reason. But against Brentford, there were a few maybe mitigating circumstances to a degree. We didn't have Gabriel Fit, who's who's our more physical defender. Um, we didn't have Thomas Partey in midfield again, who offers a more physical presence. Um, and so I think that's going to make a difference if those two play. I mean, Gabriel will probably certainly play Partey. There's still a little doubt over how exactly fit he is to start the game. But if those two play, I think that will help to ease some of those issues that we had against Brentford. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a worry. It's always a worry when we, when we play physical teams because it's not it's not just now. This has been going on for a long time, hasn't it? You know, you remember Stoke back in the day. We always struggled yeah. against Stoke. The same thing, different players, but the same outcome. So yeah, it's always a worry as an Arsenal fan when we play teams that, that play like that. But you know, everybody knows how Burnley are going to play. 
it's not a surprise. Everybody knew how, if you'd watched Brentford at any time last season, which I'm sure Arteta must have done, the coaching staff must have done, you know how Brentford were going to play. We know how Burnley are going to play. And if we if we can't deal with it on the day, that's down to poor preparation for me. It isn't down to anything else. If you prepare properly, you should be able to cope. And with the extra quality players that potentially we've got, that should be enough. But that's not how football works, is it, unfortunately? And it, it, I do feel as though we'll be slightly stronger because we've got Gabriel in defence and he's a lot better at that side of the game than maybe Rob Holding, who played against Brentford. Um, so Ben White's going to struggle, I think, though. He did struggle badly. He's good with the ball at his feet and he's good at bringing it out from the back. He reads the game well, but he's not so good in the air. He's not so good at the physical side of it. So that, that could be a worry. But Gabriel next to him may help. If Thomas Partey is in midfield, he may be able to get around a bit and, and stop the balls getting into the box, which is important as well. You know, stop the crosses. That's what we need to do as well. The fullbacks are going to have to be on their game. We've got a new Tommy Asu guy as well playing right back. He looked he looked as though he can deal with a physical side as well. So we've got a slightly different defence. We may be able to cope a bit better than against than we did against Brentford, but we'll have to see. It is a worry. But if we do, if we can, I mean, I, I said it on my video I did the other day. If we can match Burnley physically. I think we've got enough quality to win the game. But if, we, if we're if we not up for that physical challenge, then we are going to struggle. And it could go the same way the Brentford game went. And that does worry me, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think I think you've mentioned it there. I think Ben White, I think Ben White against Chris Wood, hopefully, um, will come out in our favour. But like you said, if Gabrielle mm. is back, then it might be a case of, right, you make sure you stick with Chris Wood. Don't let Ben White mark Chris Wood. Hopefully we yeah. can get uh, Ben White against Chris Wood on a few set pieces or crosses and try and expose that. Um, but let's start wrapping up then. We've got, um, uh, obviously, the game at the weekend. I've already given my prediction. I think you know my prediction. I've said it on, uh, on your podcast. But let's get your prediction for the game for our viewers. What do you think it's going to be? Well, so I think it's going to be a very tight game. There's not going to be a lot in it. Um, it's finished 1-0 quite a few times over the years, this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was 1-0. But I actually, I've just got a feeling that, you know, with everything that we've said, I do think Burnley are going to score maybe from a set piece or a ball into the box that we don't deal with particularly well. Um, so I think Burnley will score. Um, and if that's the case, then we're going to have to score two. And, and we do have the quality to do that. So I'm going to be bold and predict a 2-1 Arsenal victory. But it, it's certainly not going to be an easy an easy 2-1 victory. And I think it's going to be a big battle. But I, I'm going to go with that just because I do feel as though we've got slightly better players overall. And that should hopefully prove decisive, even if we, we struggle maybe physically sometimes in, at some points in the game. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to go for 1-1. Similar sort of reasons. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be a battle. If we get back to the way we were the last few seasons and we go in front, because I do think we'll go in front. Um, it's a story of our season so far. I think mm. every game, we're out, we've played four games out of three of them games. We've taken the lead and then been pegged back and lost two of them. Um, I think it's going to be quite similar to the Leeds game. I think we'll go 1-0 up probably in the second half uh, and then get pegged back and, and probably end up being 1-1. Um, but I, I, at this stage, I'll probably take that. I don't know. Um, like I said, that's my head predicting it. When my heart predicts it, I think, well, Brentford got joy against him, so maybe we can. But then you make good points about players coming back and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, un I understand what you say. But then that's it then um, for this week's pre-game show. Uh, I just want to say thank you, Rich, for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's great to you know to, to speak to you guys again. Obviously, uh, you know you, you've been on my channel before as well, and it's always it's always great. Uh, and it is great to you know to get other fans' perspectives on the games, isn't it? As well, I think that's really good. And it's been a pleasure to come on. And um, yeah, look forward to the game tomorrow. We can both enjoy it in maybe different ways. Hopefully. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just want to let everyone know where they can find your your podcast and your YouTube channel. Yeah, the YouTube channel is called Over and Over and Over Again. Obviously, it's Arsenal channel. I do cover the Arsenal women as well, um, and obviously all things to do with with the men's team. I do a lot of stuff on the history of the club as well. Obviously, watch alongs the games I'm not at and all that kind of stuff. So it's over and over and over again on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, please do so. It'd be good to get you involved. Yeah, happy days. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a thumbs up. Please subscribe. We're not too far away now from hitting that 4,000-hour watch mark, which means we can monetize the channel at that point. Although, with the amount of views we get, it'll probably be like 1p every month. Um, so that also says to me that a lot of people are watching it, but not too many people are subscribing it. So if you're watching it and you're not subscribed, just give it a shout. Um, just give it a, a subscribe, should I say. Uh, and also, if you're watching before the Arsenal game, which, you know, it is the pre-game show, so you think you would do, uh, get your comments uh, in below with some predictions. Uh, but thanks for watching. And I will hopefully be back on either Saturday evening or Monday at some point for the post-game show. Um, apologies to everybody who was probably waiting for an Everton post-game show, um, but I was meant to do it with somebody and then uh, a few things happened and we couldn't do it, so I didn't manage to get one done. But we'll definitely be back. Even if I have to do it myself this time, um, I'll do a, I'll do a post-game show on the YouTube channel. Um, and then we'll have a pre-game show uh, for the game next week. Off the top of my head, I don't even know who it is, um, but I'm sure we'll figure it out soon and get them uh, get them on the show like we have done with Rich today. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for watching. Please subscribe, give it a thumbs up, and we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates have already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.